Welcome to the skinny here on WMNF Tampa for January 12th, 2024. My name is Ray Roa. I'm the editor-in-chief at Creative Loafing Tampa Bay. And as always in studio with me is journalist, and author. Boat, and boat captain. Yes, boat captain and um, Pulitzer nominee. Ben Montgomery. Ben, good morning to hey, you. Good How morning, are you? Ray. I'm doing great. I got, uh, yeah, got, I got some both, company. Both my daughters home for, for the break. Uh, if you're a regular listener to the skinny, then uh, you remember they were on a few weeks ago, but I'm so glad to have them in town. Um, I love to see Mo. I love yeah. to see Asher. And if anybody's been reading national news about Harvard, uh, you have Asher in part to blame. She works at the Crimson <laughs> over there. And they've been breaking a lot of news about things happening um, on campus. So uh, always good to see Asher here, um, an alum of Hillsborough High School just right down the street. So That's right. um, good to see you there. Thanks to the Down and Dirty crew, Mario, Councilman Dingfelder, for a great show with Jason Latimer, Supervisor of Elections. Pretty Craig, wild, Craig. Craig, Craig I'm sorry. Yeah, no I worries. call him Jason Latimer. That's the uh, yeah. that's the guy from uh, Visit St. Pete Clearwater. So a lot of oh. Latimers <laughs> in my life. Um, ben, my hope uh, today is that we're going to have a busy show. Uh, we're definitely going to want to hear from listeners today. So uh, please be ready to either email dj at wmnf.org. Or get or, your phones ready. Yes. 813-239-9663 is the number. You can text us if you're that kind of person and you don't drive. 813-433-0885 if you want to text. Shout um, out to Mitch, who, by the way, Mitch, is yes, I should mention us. Mitch is not here. Um, don't worry, he'll be back eventually, but he is um, in Tallahassee because session has started. You can follow his work um, in the cap from the Capitol via the Florida Phoenix. Yeah. And um, I think once it cools down, he may be able to check in in a few weeks via Zoom. So um, that'll be good. But for a while, it'll just be me and Ben. Ben's going to ride solo tomorrow because my sister's, or next, next week, because uh, my sister's getting married. But um, I want to ask you something. Um, in the second half, we'll talk about uh, construction. Uh, we're going to talk with the owners of King State and city-related construction as it uh, surrounds their business. It's on everybody's um, mind, right? Which now. is everybody's talking about. I mean, our next guest ha- had to take a few detours to get here. Um, um, so we're going to talk about curfews. Uh, ben, I-, I read your essay in Creative Loafing about how you kind of grew up as a young teen, so I can imagine if you had a curfew. Did you have one growing up before, well, before you were 16? I don't remember a curfew uh, outside of uh, one my parents imposed, which was be home by roughly midnight, you know? Okay. Uh, we kind of respected that once in a while, uh, but never a city-imposed curfew there in Oklahoma City. Okay, so so you might have been picked up here if, if, if things go the way they Could go. So um, in the latest <laughs> issue of Creative Loafing Tampa Bay um, on stands right now, Ariel Stevenson reports that Tampa City County Council has advanced a juvenile curfew ordinance. Um, that's despite a lack of comprehensive data or a real plan for enforcement. The uh, proposed citywide ordinance, in part, prohibits youth under the age of 16 from being out after 11 p.m. That you would be Sunday tagged. Sunday to Thursday. You would be tagged, yes. And could result in a $50 fine. Um, in the past, Mayor Kasser has been in support of a youth curfew. Um, this particular ordinance advanced to a second reading on a 4-2 vote at the final city council meeting of 2003, and a final vote is set for January 25th. Um, talk of this curfew kind of started after a failed attempt at working towards a 1 a.m. curfew for businesses in Ybor City. All of this happened in the wake of an October 29th shooting on 7th that killed two people, um, including a 14-year-old boy and six injured uh, about 16 others. Um, our guest... 
here at the top of the show is Robin Lockett. She is the president, former president of the Hillsborough Democratic Black Caucus and past political chair for the Hillsborough County Democratic Black Caucus. Currently, she's the regional director at Florida Rising, a statewide statewide voting rights and grassroots organizing organizing group in Florida working to build power in black and brown communities. Robin is that correct? Did I get that right? Or is that fake news? Oh, no. So most of it is. Okay. <laughs> I was a political chair, but it was for uh, the NAACP. Okay. And I am the regional director. And uh, we're more than just voting rights. We okay. empower the community to fight on issues. Policy changes uh, that, you know, that, uh, uh, that happen to them that they're concerned about. So we mm. empower the community to fight on issues that concern them. Okay. Um, thank you for being here today. Uh, I, I should mention, Robin, last year you ran for the District 2 City Council seat, and you made it to a runoff where you earned 38% of the vote against a very, very popular incumbent. Um, you are seemingly at every city council meeting. Um, I've described you as kind of a public servant, but not on the taxpayer dime. Mm. Um, at the last meeting of the year, this, this meeting we're talking about, you expressed disappointment um, at the fact that the conversation and urgency about this curfew came after the Ybor City incident. And, and I think it's fair for me to characterize Ybor right now as a rapidly gentrifying neighborhood uh, in the midst of a transformation that's been fueled by um, projects by deep-pocketed developers. Would right. you agree? Yes, yes. Um, with that. And, and you told council um, in that meeting at the end of last year, uh, East Tampa has been crying out about gun violence for years. Mm-hmm. Can, can you expand on that a little bit? So um, it's a true statement, right? Uh, there has been uh, crime in East Tampa, uh, Robles Park uh, specifically. You hear I would get calls in regards to uh, individuals, uh, not necessarily kids, but individuals doing drive-bys, shooting up uh, uh, doors and the uh, people having to duck uh, uh, in their apartments or, you know, find cover uh, in the community if they're out. So it was an unsafe, last year, I think, or a year before that, it was an unsafe place, right? You, I would go over there because I grew up in Robles Park, 212 East Kentucky, right? Uh, unfortunately, there's a, uh, I, we were living on top of the cemetery, mm. <laughs> unbeknownst yeah, right, to us, right, right. right? Yeah. But uh, I felt safe going over there. But now, you know, when all of that, the shootings and so forth was going on. I, it drove me to caution. So, uh, and not just in uh, in um, Robles Park, but other places. So, this situation or issue has been a problem. But I just felt like uh, when others of economic background or something else is involved with it, city council or the administration wants to take note to it and make changes. When they were wringing their hands. Because they were driving, saying, uh, oh, well, what should we do? We want to be treated just like South Tampa. Mm. If South Tampa was having this, what would y'all do? Mm. You wouldn't wring your hands and ask the community, what should we do? You're going to take action. Yeah. So it was just just that for me that was, uh, you know, uh, disheartening during that time. Can you talk about any of the responses? Because when I see you ask these questions in public comment or uh, when these things are an agenda item, People get to speak to council, but oftentimes council doesn't talk back. I mean, you are a constant presence there. Has anybody on the council been able to adequately respond to that particular concern that you've expressed? Um, a couple of them have. Uh, I've had the opportunity to speak with a couple of them. Uh, Lynn, uh, you know, so you know where Lynn Hertek stands. She sure. wants more data. You know where uh, Bill Carlson stands. You know, uh, he wants more data. 
Um, I've uh, mentioned it to Alan Clendenin, and I have had a conversation. He wants to talk with me more and, you know, just filter it out, right? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times what they're doing is if they don't know about the situation and it sounds right, then they're going to go with, you know, okay, a curfew sounds good. Yeah. But just not really this. So my stance with city council has been, and it makes sense to me, right? Curfew is a possibility. It may be something that's needed. But while we have this opportunity right now, let's open it up, right? Because there, and things are just not happening in, in the city of Tampa. So let's just open it up. Let's make it county, have a conversation countywide. That's with all governmental agencies. The city of Tampa, county commissioner, and uh, school board. Hillsborough County Sheriff's and uh, uh, TPD, right? Have a conversation with community, with parents. Is that because otherwise it feels sort of specifically targeted to East Tampa? Not even. T so I just look at it as an, as an opportunity to really look at it instead of just stamping saying, well, we put a curfew out. We tried. Knowing that it's not working. It's not going to work. Right. If you have an ordinance from 20 years ago, I don't know when the ordinance was created, created, but 20 years ago and say, hey, you know what? This ordinance sounds good. Let's do it. Yeah. With no modifications. Back then, things were different. Yeah. But community wants to know, how's the police going to uh, address the kids? What's the specifics? What's the repercussion? Should the uh, kids, should, should the police officers uh, go into the schools during uh, assembly time or make an assembly time to tell the kids how they should address the, you know, handle the police if they're stopped? So there's so many different opportunities to really get this as right. We're not going to talk about the real reason. Why are the guns here? Why are the kids getting the guns? So we won't touch that, right? Because they're not. So why can't we make, uh, if we're creating a Band-Aid, because that's what it is, it's not going to resolve the problem. But there's truancy uh, happening. Kids don't just go out and kill, kill at night. They're doing it during the broad daylight. Yeah. Kid got shot in the head uh, a couple weeks ago, which is a travesty. So how do we open up the conversation for everybody to be involved and we create a roadmap to cover as much as we can and creating a Band-Aid that's not going to unravel as quickly. It's going to unravel, but not as quickly. That's the voice of Robin Lockett, Regional Director at Florida Rising, a statewide voting rights and grassroots organizing group. We are talking about a proposed citywide juvenile curfew ordinance for Tampa. Obviously, we'd love to hear from listeners on this too. So uh, either email dj at wmnf.org. Um, or call 813-239-9663 or text 813-433-0885. And Tampa had a juvenile curfew on the books, Ray, right? As, that's as that's correct. As reported from 1994 to 2015. Yeah, so I, I kind of have that here. Um, there, there was one that was rescinded here. So, so something that came up um, at that last meeting, and you, and you invoked Councilman Carlson, and we should note that uh, in that 4-2 vote, Hertak and Carlson uh, were the two no votes Um there, same as the first uh, vote. Um, they cited concerns about how little data had been pres uh, presented to the council. At one point, Carlson said, we don't have an answer to this very simple question about whether or not this curfew has worked um, in any city where it's been implemented. As, as um, but We'll get to kind of what Ben said. There is some evidence, though. Um, a, a 2016 review of 12 studies on juvenile curfews found that the evidence suggests the curfews do not reduce crime or victimization. Uh, last September, 
uh, Kristen Henning, director of the Juvenile Justice Clinic at George University's Law School, told NPR she thinks juvenile curfews are, quote, ineffective, more harmful than helpful, and really a reactive response instead of a thoughtful, careful strategy for managing crime um, in our city. And, and, and this next part, last June, even far-right Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott signed a statewide ban on juvenile curfews. Um, and, and to Ben's point, uh, Tampa has Tampa has history with this. You kind of alluded to it, um, Robin. We flirted with one uh, from 1994 to 2015. There was one on the books, never really implemented for about 11 of those 21 years because of legal challenges about the ordinance being unconstitutional. And as Ben pointed out, in 2015, the curfew was officially removed um, uh, because of that. Um, because it was never implemented? That that, and there were constitutional problems. And, and I know that the city's attorney has said they feel like this one kind of shores up in line with the state statute. But what is your feeling? You've, you've been in council enough. You know how the minutiae goes. Um, what's your feeling about what's going to happen with this curfew's final reading uh, this month? And what will happen in between? You, you talked about this is a chance to get out of the silo, collaborate with people countywide, the sheriff. It shouldn't just be TPD. Correct. Right? The sheriff should be there. Parents have Correct. to be there. Um, school programs. So what is going to happen? I mean, January 25th comes quick. Uh, if 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 conversations are not happening with uh, uh, city council and city council is not made aware of let's do something different, if they had not been aware of let's do something different, they would have, as of January 25th, they would have passed it. They would have passed it. But, um, and I have a question. So with the curfew, uh, uh, somebody said on, on uh, line uh, re- recently, I guess back in the day they had, they would, uh, 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 a message would come across something. Uh, back in the day, maybe. Uh, Facts. <laughs> a public access television yeah. or, or something. Yeah. Do you know where your kids are? Oh, right. Oh, right. Yeah, right. The yeah, TV. it was TV. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you know where your kids are? Where it's your children 9 o'clock. are? 11 o'clock. It's 11 o'clock. Do you know where your children are? It would? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, skip, skip sure. our border. It was a PSA, it. right? It was yeah. a routine yeah. PSA. Right. It's 11 o'clock. Yeah. Do you know where your children are? Yeah, yeah so, you know, I think it's bigger than, I say, I think the curfew is just a tool, right? But there has to be parent responsibility. Mm-hmm. There has to be, you know, there's so many different angles in this that need to come together to make the, the, not just a curfew, the curfew is just a tool for us to have the conversation, to lead into something different, Mm. right? The curfew made, kids, 15 year olds, 14 year olds should not be out three o'clock in the morning. Not be out at uh, 12, you know, 12 12 midnight is the, to me is the cutoff. Mm. And with that being in line, does it have the school district with kids that are out that late and trying to wake up for school the next morning. You know, so there's so many different connections, intersections with this that can work if we're not just trying to put to say we did a curfew and have no implementation of it. And city council is infamous for doing that, approving something and and not, they don't have teeth in it. They just say they did it. CRB much? 100%. (laughs) (laughs) 100%. <laughs> Talking about the community review board. Uh, by the way, if you're just joining us, that's the voice of Robin Lockett. Uh, she's the regional director at Florida Rising, a statewide voting rights and grassroots organizing group. We're talking about a proposed citywide juvenile curfew. We do have some phones ringing. Josh is um, on the phone. Um, let's take this call and kind of see how that goes here. Josh, you're with us here on WNF. Hi. Ray, Robin, and uh, Ben, how are you all doing? Good. Hi, how thanks. are you? I think this is WMNF's own Josh Holton. <laughs> 
You, you, you got me. <laughs> um, I had a couple questions, maybe a few. Just um, First, I'm really curious as to the logic behind asking more people to stay indoors. Um, we're, now, mind you, we're past the pandemic, right? So we can talk like this now. Um, I think now, especially that we're past the pandemic, I'm concerned that there's not enough people getting outside and getting into community um, you know, most of the times when you think of, like, thefts that happen or, or even more serious crimes, it usually tends to happen when people don't have eyes on them and they're trying to do it secretively. So I don't know what the logic is having fewer people outside. Like, I think that if people are going to be out in the street, just, you know, they're de facto going to be on the street no matter what, wouldn't it be make more sense to reduce crime to have more people in the street. And so to that note, one of the things I spoke with on, uh, the other day with someone is why don't we have extended hours for libraries or, or why don't we have youth centers that are open late? If the kids are going to be outside, why don't we give them something wholesome to do that uh, where it's safe? Uh, so that's one question. My, my next question is uh, what about, what do you think is a sensible gun law that would uh, get to the root of some of the problems because Robin was asking earlier, what are we doing about the guns, right? So what, what would a, a sensible gun law be? Would it be uh, having harsher penalties for um, making sure that guns are locked up and that, that they're secure? Or would it be, uh, you know, maybe bringing back uh, background checks and uh, uh, permitting and, uh, and, all, and training like we unfortunately lost during the last legislative session uh, last year? Um, so those are my two questions. Okay. Sounds like and we had like, oh, let, let, oh, I'm just going to say, let, let's be clear though. Uh, the, the person arrested in this shooting was 22 years old. There's right. a victim who was 14, right? So the, so the victim would presumably have not been on the, you know, on the street at that, at that correct. hour, but the shooter would have been. Correct. This is correct. Um, so I guess so, Justin, so, so is this no I mean so yeah, is this uh, a solution to a problem that do, that we don't have you know what I mean um, so there is a problem with kids being out so the curfew is not the so the connection with the curfew is the the uh, the curfew with it connects the Okay. The curfew wants to keep kids off the street after Correct. eleven. I mean, which is Just a so legitimate happened, concern. It was per, based on this incident. Sure. But the idea is, what are, what are 14, 15-year-olds doing out at 3 o'clock in the morning? The shooter was 22, but the bigger thing is, what about the kids? Well, maybe he didn't have another option, as Josh was alluding to. Like, uh, you know, some kids, let's just face it, they don't have parents um, at home to tell them to stay. 100%. Um, so is there an option for a kid like that? Like, I remember I, was, you know, I used to stay at the skating rink for a long time. So right? with the city of Tampa, they so again with the conversation with all entities, governmental agencies, those things can be mapped out, and it's and 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 this is, I look at it as a in a, in a holistic uh, uh, view, right? What if a kid is out and his parents are working, and that parent has nothing? Uh, she you know making ends meet. So how do we help that parent? Mm-hmm. So that's the route that you know that I'm taking. But parents do, you have parents that are that are home and uh, uh, can't control their kids. So how do, how does that parent get assistance? But 
unless we weed them out because of, uh, I, I, I don't want to identify responsible and not, but parents that have their kids on a short lease that have curfews and so forth, like, you know, my mom, I tried to sneak, but she would come <laughs> and walk and find me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, you know, they're not going to have a problem with it. So that weeds, it's a weed, weed, weeding uh, those individuals that need the assistance that we can really help with this. That's, that's where I'm going with this. Yeah. yeah. By having everybody at the table to discuss it. Yeah. And to Josh's said, is, it, is the gun thing too big of an issue to talk about in a couple yeah. of minutes on the radio? Lobbyists, I mean, yeah. uh, uh, federally, uh, you know, they're trying to resolve it. So they say, right? You know, has that ever, has the council brought brought up uh, any conversation about guns? I mean, no. it feels it's like we're, we're ignoring, in the room. correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, ignoring the main issue here, correct. which is the fact that there's a, a handgun in the hand of a 22 year old who's angry enough to pull the trigger a couple of times. So. Right. And let me let me ask you something about something that came up too in, in the conversations about this, um, Robin. Um, obviously, Carlson and Hertak have voted against this ordinance every step of the way. At one point, they expressed concern about enforcement and who would be targeted. I think there was a concern that uh, minority groups uh, would be disproportionately affected. I know I kind of heard Connie Burton kind of push back a little bit on that because we're talking about kids. Um, what's your thought about that? I mean, this is the city that was under investigation for disproportionately uh, ticketing black bicyclists, um, discriminated against uh, people in housing during Housing While Black. So what, what is your thought on, on that argument? I think with uh, so people may not like what I'm about to say, right? But uh, it is what it is. Um, I think that in instances like this, so uh, um, riding while black, uh, the bicycle Biking, incident. Sure. Biking, while sure. black, yeah. Biking while black. So okay. While Jane Castor is the mayor now, Correct. was the police chief. Uh, mayor Correct. Bob Buckhorn was in office. Correct. Terrible thing. They were identified as that. So now, back then, we didn't have anything to look for, right? We couldn't, we didn't know. There was nothing on, on the books. People probably said it, but an investigation came in and they were found. Alexander uh, Zayas at the Tampa Bay Times. Correct. To cover off this. Yeah. Correct. So now we know. So going into this, we are aware of what we're not going to stand for. That's why training for the officers, the ex and with training is an expectation of what you, uh, what's the uh, police chief's name? Uh, Burkhoff. Burkhoff, what you expect, how you expect for your officers to one, uh, approach a kid for two, having reasoning to pro- approach a kid. Common sense. If it's after uh, after the curfew, do you approach the kid? Hmm. Right. If it's an ordinance, you would approach the kid. You would approach the kid, but how do you approach the kid? Right. Right. right? So I think that we learned a lot from that incident, but it should not stop us or make us fearful to have something done because of that. Now we have our eyes all uh, wide open and we're able to see things and know things prior to them. So if they put in a, uh, um, uh, a law or a procedure that they can do X, Y, Z and we say, no, that's not right. We're not. So we have the, the tools to fight against it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I wonder, just as a natural curiosity, will, will they be uh, uh, scrutinizing the kids in line for prana, let's say, uh, waiting out there at, at midnight or 1 a.m.? Uh, like they would uh, kids of color. Well, well, one thing about prana is the kids in there, they would all be at least 18, you would think. I've checked, a lot, does, of, I've checked a lot of fake IDs uh, <laughs> at, at my time as a doorman at the masquerade. Yeah, I used oh, to work. Oh, okay, the masquerade yeah. was my second job ever. And I, I remember one night I had a stack 
about it's about four inches. This is radio, so you can't see high fake IDs. It was crazy. Speaking of the masquerade, uh, when I first moved here in 2005, uh -huh. a man stabbed another man to death in the mosh pit at the masquerade. Correct. Um, uh, there was no talk of curfew after that that I recall. Uh, there was concern about Ybor City and is it a right. place that is safe? Uh, but uh, I wonder why we're talking about curfew now versus uh, another sort of unexplained, well, that's been tragic, an violent death. In the room yeah. also during these conversations because as we remember, this curfew talk came out after uh, 1 a.m. proposed business curfew was Correct. shot down. It's not the solution um, to this thing that was happening um, in Ebor. And as you alluded to, Robin, nobody knows how this is going to be enforced. Do you talk to a lot of cops? And I'm kind of blackballed from the union. They don't talk to me anymore. For some Brandon Barclay, if you're listening, just talk to me again, man. Um, I would like to know how cops feel about the auspice of approaching teenagers on a nightly basis now um, and you know, on top and, of everything guess, else that they have to do. And I guess with the curfew, is it 10 o'clock or is it 1 o'clock? Well, this one would be 11, I think. No, but, but again, nights, right. it's an yeah. opportunity when? to open the conversation right. and yeah. not just blanket some. So it may be one o'clock. Yeah, kids are different these days, you know. So it may be one a.m. Yeah, maybe midnight. Yeah. So again, it's is opening up the conversation, and uh, I, again, the curfew is just to to open the conversation because that's what's happening. But how do we expand it to really have a true conversation about uh, the city of Tampa or Hillsborough County? Robin Lockett here um, from Florida Rising. We're talking about a proposed citywide ordinance. We, we're going to uh, switch guests here, just get off a couple of uh, texts. If, uh, Charles from Palmetto says, if curfew was 6 p.m., myself and my friends would not have been riding our bicycles behind the mosquito control spray <laughs> trucks uh, waiting for the horn to grow. And let's take a phone call from Jackie um, here right now. Jackie, you're on the air here at WMNF. Hi, uh, thanks for the topic. This is really important. Um, maybe that 14-year-old who was shot felt that he had nowhere else to go. And that's, that's a very sad state of affairs. We put so much resources into sports and facilities and all kinds of buildings. Why not make a community center that's available for these teenagers that feel they have no other alternative for them to go? And if the police are going to approach kids who are out after curfew, they can talk to them and ask them, why are you out? Aren't your parents worried about you? How about if you come to the community center? When we're raising children, we take something dangerous away from a toddler and we give them something else, a paintbrush or a safer toy. So if you're trying to give kids a chance to do something more constructive instead of carrying guns, or being out with a bad element, give them something else to do. Give them a community center where they can do art. Maybe they don't feel they have a safe home to be in, and that's why they're not home. So why can't we have a community center that's open all night for these kids? If it would save lives and save them from becoming involved with a bad element and crime, it would certainly be worth the resources. Uh, thanks for the call, uh, Jackie from Clearwater. Ro Robin, I know we have to let you go, but I, I am wondering about... Um, that in your the rich house comes out a lot <laughs> up a lot in Tampa City Council, um, but what have your conversations with city officials been like about implementing some kind of more late night or you know teen centers and things like that when they engage with your organization? So uh, right now, I think the city does have where their extended hours at park 
at the, at the different parks or certain parks. Um, there's a skill center being uh, created on, uh, built on uh, 22nd off of Hillsboro. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a, a, a large facility that would possibly offer late night uh, areas. And, let, and let's just say this. So we do need to find uh, things for uh, youth to do. And a certain a segment of youth are going to do it. Right. right. They're going to be they're going to enjoy it. They're going to take advantage of it. But then there's another segment of youth that, that that's who we're talking about. Right. That's so this point. would kill two birds with one stone. Provide that avenue for sure. those kids that are doing the right thing, that are in school, that are not in school, but still want something to do. That's going to cover them. But then there's another segment of kids that are uh, doing a whole lot of wrong. How do we help? detour and handle them accordingly. But we have to, unfortunately, how it seems, we have to handle the full masses at one time to weed out who's who. Right on. Robin Lockett, Regional Director of uh, Florida Rising. Robin, thank you so much for being here. So that people don't have to wait till the next election cycle. How do they follow you? Uh, Oh, uh... So we're at 350 West Hillsboro, uh, Florida Rising's office. Right there on the, on the, on the river. Yes, yep. right there on the river. Uh, and uh, I'm Facebook, Robin Lockett. Okay. Uh, so I don't post much. Sure. You're just busy. at a certain time. She's, you can find our city council every Thursday, <laughs> oh, I'll tell yes. you that. City yes, front seat. Thursday. Yeah, front seat. You'll see her. Uh, Robin, thank you so thank much for joining you. us thank today. You. Thank you, Robin. Thank um, you. And, and now let's get ready to move into something that was also a big deal in city council yesterday. It was packed with supporters of a Tampa Heights cafe and restaurant called King State. Um, nearly five years ago, King State opened out of an old service station. On the corner of Florabraska and I-275, it's become a staple of that neighborhood. In 2019, it was listed at number eight in Food and Wine's list of the best coffee shops in America. Um, King State just opened a St. Pete location uh, late last year. Uh, My guest today here, Tim McTague, a co-founder of King State. Thanks for being here, Tim. Yeah, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Um, I'm going to try to get everybody caught up to speed real quick. In September, construction started on pretty much every street surrounding your shop. Every uh, street in every, Tampa. And yeah. every street in Tampa, probably. <laughs> um, recently, there's been pretty much no way to get into your parking lot. Um, I live in the neighborhood. I usually walk to the cafe. My kid now gets so excited when I drive past the barriers because he feels like he's doing something nefarious. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like, ooh, are we sneaking to Cake State Daddy? You know, because <laughs> uh, he's a pandemic kid and grew up. And, and so early this month, you guys went as far as to set up a table in the middle of Florabraska Avenue. Um, I-275 was in the background. Picture um, this. You're having a gentlemen. coffee yeah. in the middle of the street. It, it's quite a striking um, image, um, actually. And so some of that construction is supposed to be done in March, but there's more work set for May. Um, the city of Tampa um, says the construction is to replace aging water pipes. It's true. Um, the Nebraska Avenue, they say the current work is expected to be finished there. Um, th- but the city said it's going to be less disrupt- disruptive in, in May. Um, but you guys have really been vocal about it. Why have you taken this next step? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing to remember is we're not the only ones. Mm-hmm. And I think the city's uh, not intentionally, but maybe intentionally taken a position of, you know, even yesterday, their comment on one of our news stories was there's hundreds of millions of dollars of construction projects happening everywhere and nobody complains. Like we're the, the squeaky Like you're wheel. whining or something. Yeah, and I think the biggest difference with, 
our situation and a lot of the other ones, and if it's not a big difference, and I don't think it's that we should shut up, it's more people should speak up, mm. is that it's a four-lane closure. And I understand that we have to do infrastructure. I love the city. I love that we're growing. I love that we're attracting a lot of other businesses and with growth and an influx of population comes a lot of infrastructural issues. And the city's been vocal about these have been pushed off for a long time and they're all necessary. So we're not anti-growth. We're not anti-infrastructure. We're not anti-construction uh, at all. The difference is when you shut down all four lanes and make a very busy four lane street that connects Ebor to West Tampa and Seminole Heights and everything else. And you make it a ghost town and we're the only business on the street. You just kind of get lost. And, you know, a lot of people go there. We are a destination. We're not in Seminole Heights. We're not walkable for most people. We're not in Water Street. We're not in Hyde Park. We're on our own island and we've been able to build that and see year over year growth and really become a contributor to the community locally and ideally put a lot of eyes on the city, which we have. And it, at a certain point, it just gets too much. And, you know, it started in September east of us. We saw a little bit of a slow or really just a stabilizing when we thought we'd start picking up for quarter four. And then by October and November, it was right under the interstate, and that's when a lot of the problems started. We did, started emailing people, and here we are. Did they come to you in September and say, hey, heads up, uh, here's what's going to happen? Uh, no. Uh, we posted a bunch of videos. We were trying to – we were tagging city council, city of Tampa, the mayor. Um, and then we only got the actual scope of work on New Year's Eve weekend when our staff showed up on Saturday. New Year's Eve, one of the biggest food and beverage weekends yeah. Ever. You're supposed to make money that And day. the entire street was shut down. Mm. Like our east and west entrance, all four lanes shut down. Our staff had to drive over the curb to even get to work. Wow. And so if the people that I'm paying to be here don't even want to be here and can barely get here, how's anyone that wants to be there going to get there, right? right. Um, and at a certain point when there's tar and concrete dust flying all over our patio and you hear cranes and drills, you just go somewhere else. And, and that pattern's consisted for three months. New Year's Eve weekend, uh, Councilwoman Lynn Hurtock, who's awesome, came through, saw it, started activating. And then the city of Tampa hit us on Instagram that day and said there should only be partial lane closures, which is not true. And then on top of that said, here's the scope of work and said, don't worry, this you're only halfway through. This is going to end in April. And March 31st is supposedly the proposed end of the construction. And there's been days where it's a work day, it's a weekday, and nobody shows up. So I'm not banking on 331 being completion date. Wow. So yeah. that's when we realized we had to do something. And, you know, we ran some numbers. I called lawyers, called eminent domain. We did everything. And I think city council and Jane feel like they're just hearing about it now. And in fact, we've been posting about it for weeks and weeks and going on two months now. And we're just now getting traction. So it's, it's not good for anybody. And I know the city has to do what it has to do. And we're not mad at that. I think if you're going to crush small businesses in the wake, there should be a small percentage of that budget left aside for assistance. Well, yeah. let's talk about that. So um, I should note that we invited somebody from the city to come on, um, Richard Mutterbach, who is 
kind of a new contract administration guy. He was not available. I'll intersperse some statements from the city as, as we go. And by the way, the city said they think that the contractor went to the business but maybe spoke with employees instead of um, you guys. But um, Adam Smith from the city also told me that city officials have spoken with King State and connected them to risk management. And, and I think you're, you know, risk management so that you can file a claim. And, and while you are not alone um, uh, in your frustration with the uh, construction and what it's done to it, you're kind of moving forward here that you do have a claim in with the city. I think you said that um, at city council. Can you talk about how that, how you got to that step, how that works and what your claim is asking? Because you don't hear a lot about that. Yeah, I didn't even know it existed. And, you know, the first month that we were getting crushed, I called, you know, Veronica from The Independent, called the dudes from Jug and Bottle because they've been crushed in the heights with the same situations. And they were just like, yeah, man, you just got to weather it. You know, this person closed, this person closed. There's been so many businesses that have just closed and never come back due to this. Mm. And nobody knew that there was a city claims department. And then I finally got a hold of someone either with the city or with the construction company or the foreman from the city who said, well, we do have a risk and loss department. I got a hold of them and they basically said, yeah, you got to obviously prove what you're asking for. So I ran all the numbers and we're down deep six figures quarter for 2023 from 2022 and what really concerned us and really upset us was that we're actually five figures lower than we were shut down in 2020 for COVID. Oof. And the only way any businesses like ours got through that is with forgivable, non-debt financial aid. And that's all we're asking for. And so we extrapolated the losses that we can obviously prove that the city has already. I pulled all of our reports for four years. It's proven. And then realizing that it's three to four to five more months. We just forecasted what those losses would extrapolate over six or seven months. Mm. And we just, it's not a claim to, you know, slip and fall and then sue someone for millions of dollars and get rich. Right. We just want the lost revenue and we wouldn't even be here. Right. If they would have just come to us and said, we're going to destroy your street for not just six months, but the only six months that you have to really make a business thrive. Yeah. The summer was brutal. It was the hottest summer on record. Everyone ate crap all summer. Everyone was just waiting for the weather to cool off. And it's almost to the day that you could break the heat and put on a jacket that and we had cranes get in to front King of us. State. Yeah. And even if you can get to it, who wants to be on a patio when there's jackhammers and concrete dust going everywhere? Sure. So if half the time you can't get there, and then the few times where they, quote unquote, have a lane open, nobody wants to go there. Sure. Because we're not a pharmacy. Yeah. You don't have to get to us to get your insulin or your drugs. We're a I go there for the chorizo and the eggs. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and with a side of concrete. Right, right. <laughs> I, I'm going to guess you're not alone in this. I'm going to guess there are other business yeah, owners we do and other, other people who are trying to get to businesses lately who can't because this construction is not limited to for, for Brassica. There's construction all over the city. We'd like to hear from listeners. Call us at 813-239-9663 or send us an email, dj at wmnf.org. Uh, we have Sean from Tampa on the air with us. Sean, are you there? Yes. Hey, Sean, what's up? Uh, you're on the hey. uh, air here with uh, Tim McTay from King State. How you doing, Sean? Hey, Tim. How's it going, bud? Doing well. <clears throat> yeah, I'm so sorry. Like, when when I saw, I was telling Ray a few days ago when I saw this whole thing, it gave me PTSD for what happened to us at Cass Street. Okay, so this is uh, Sean O'Brien, the owner of uh, <clears throat> former owner of Cass Street Deli on Cass. Absolutely. Uh, which went through its own uh, 
construction nightmare. Yes. Yeah, it pretty much crippled us to where we didn't come back from it. I mean, the second those streets started to open up, COVID hit, so there was mm. no... Um, but it was one of those things where, I mean, you know, we were open two months, killing it, like selling out of food, like constantly lines, and then one day in the afternoon, someone came to the thing with a note saying, oh, this is the construction we're starting next month, and we were like, what are you talking about? And they never contacted us and told us, and they shut down all of Cass Street, um, and then, you know, we made, we, we weren't as smart as you, like that thing in the middle of the street was like brilliant, <laughs> but <laughs> we, you know, we made our posts and this is how to get to us and blah, 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 and tried reaching out and people were supporting and ordering like online, which was great, but then they shut down our side streets. So yeah. then all of a sudden, like the online stuff dried up because drivers couldn't get to us and didn't want to go through it. You know, they would just cancel orders and um, it became a thing. And then the mayor finally showed up and, uh, for the photo op and she bought her half a turkey sandwich and told us all these things that she was going to, that we can apply for to help. And that's when, just like you, I found out about the risk management office. Um, but how did that uh, go for you, Sean? Did you guys apply for, well. for any of that? They strung us along for two months after telling us, you know, they were going to get to it right away. And then in two months after I finally called, I mean, I kept calling, but when I finally called and got through, the guy was like, oh, yeah, it was denied because you don't qualify. And they told us at the time that you had to be a business open for, I think it was four or five years to qualify. Um, and which everybody knew we had just opened. So the fact that they asked us to, like, you know, apply <laughs> for all this stuff that they knew we didn't qualify for and then strung us along forever to just tell us we didn't qualify for it was like kind of insane and heartless. I thought, but yeah, I feel you, man. It goes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like that's, you know, Thanks we're, for the call, Sean. yeah, yeah. I'm sorry to hear about that. And and we were very much aware about that. I think that's the, the biggest thing is by us speaking out and, you know, we didn't call five news channels. They called us, but the fact that this has gotten so much press and put a highlight on how crippling this is, not just for us, for, but for all small businesses, like, the, the saddest part is we've gotten so many DMs and so many uh, responses and texts just like the story you just heard being like, dude, I wish we would have fought this. We just thought we had no recourse. And so we just closed. I mean, the, the trail of Tampa dead this year on small businesses is obscene. I mean, it's 20, 30 and you have all these, you know, giant you mean to say because of construction and that sort of thing. I or? mean, it's 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 kind of an infra I think some of its construction, some of its infrastructure, some of its, you know, all this money that's not local pouring in, people gobbling up buildings, hiking rent. Like we are becoming a millionaire and billionaire city, and you know, fast. For instance, this same exact construction happened on Central. It came right into Starbucks' backyard, just like us, and they just closed for four months. Yeah. That's a billion-dollar company that can weather any storm. Right. You know, we're lucky to profit below six figures if we hit strikes and bullseyes for 12 straight months. Yeah. So when you take two, $300,000 away from a business over six months, that's not oh, shucks, like do better, cut labor, maybe, you know, close an hour early to save. It's a death blow. And I think that's the thing that the city didn't understand. And everyone I've talked to has not been malicious. They haven't been uh, disrespectful at all. They're, they all see it, you know? And I think what happened is the first three, four, five, six weeks of us, 
you know, hitting the city, tagging the city, emailing, calling lawyers. Everyone's just like, oh, another construction complaint. Mm -hmm. And to the city's point, they have hundreds of millions of dollars in construction happening at all corners of the city. It wasn't until people got on site that they're like, oh my gosh. Our lawyer was like, yeah, I'll look into it. And then he cold called me. He's like, dude, I'm leaving your bar. This is effed. Like, this is a war zone. I'm yeah. like, why do you think I called you? I'm like, <laughs> right. you're $400 an hour. I don't call you to catch up. Like, right, I, right. I need help. And yeah. so same with city council. Everyone comes in and they're like, oh, this is different. And I'm like, yes, we're in COVID numbers different. <laughs> like, this is not a 10% drop because one lane's gone. This is, is different. Is there a legal path uh, to, to rectify this? Yeah, like what uh, if that's your not tapping the, uh, the, 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 the department the city has set up? Yeah, I mean, we've already submitted the claim. Um, we got an adjuster and we've heard back and he basically said, uh, not even without saying it, saying it, that before they do these bids and before they do these projects, they make sure that the contractors are responsible for right-of-way, signage, communication with the business, as well as have insurance. So currently the city has indirectly denied our claim insofar that I can see and just repackaged it and submitted it to JVS Contracting's insurance. Right. Mm. And so, you know, we've been talking to people. We got a hold of the mayor, Jane, and we were like, we can't sit in a six to eight month battle suing a city and a construction company trying to figure out who's going to make us whole. Like we don't have eight months. Right. So she assured us that she's having meetings and they're going to make it right. And it's been very clear that Making it right isn't putting a little sign saying King State's open or coming in for like a quick blurb and trying to get more business. It's like we've lost uh, obscene amounts yeah, of I money. Mean, you basically said you're going to be screwing over your creditors here uh, soon, perhaps laying people off if things continue um, the way they go. And I, I should mention, by the way, if uh, you're just joining the Skinny on MNF, you're hearing the voice of Tim McTague, co-founder of Tampa Heights Restaurant King State. We're talking about the city-related construction that's made it nearly impossible to access his business. We're getting some text in here. Uh, David from Tampa says, I'm sorry about the problems that King State has suffered from the road construction. It sounds similar to what happened to Valhalla, yes. a clothing store in Seminole Heights when Central and Hannah was closed there. The store owner, Danielle, also suffered from sexual harassment from the construction workers, both employees um, and customers. And, and that goes back to this communication between the city and contractors, which I think even the city has acknowledged that they have not um, been very good at. There's another. I wish issue. Veronica from the Indy would call because I've often wondered. Uh, I noticed when there was, uh, you know, big chunks of Florida Ave shut down. Uh, those businesses were struggling with that, uh, and it seemed the way to rectify it was to put out sandwich boards that said, "We're still open. Uh, drive around the construction." You know. Um, but uh, uh, that that's. You, have you talked to Veronica? I have. Yeah, she's. You know. Uh, a, a colleague and I consider her a friend and she's honestly been a, a, like a big sister to us. She's mentored us um, yeah. as much as anytime I text her, she's immediate to respond and she's been great. And yeah, she said, you know, the breadth of the construction that was devastating never actually made it towards independent. There was always at least some throughway open and yeah, you just have to kind of go gorilla spray painting two by fours and yeah, plywood. We're like, still we are open, yeah. come through, please. And, you know, they weathered that. And this being a six month stretch and quarter one and quarter four, like the, the best times people want to be outside and celebrate. Uh, it, it is different. And, you know, she mentioned, talk to spatties, talk to whatever pops. They, those were the businesses that really got crushed. Right. 
and you know that construction was right in front of correct. those places. Yeah, yeah, and it Lots seems like I understand the city's position on claims too. You know, like if you honor our claim, then from now on, anytime construction hits, like. We got to do the next one. Correct. And, and I, I ran the numbers and I've pulled up the budget for, you know, at least our street. And if the numbers I saw were correct, like all we're asking for is less than the equivalent of our credit card processing fee of that budget. Hmm. Like we're not asking for millions of dollars. We're not trying to sue anyone. I love this city. I want to see it grow. I'm glad it is growing. We just have to be alive to see it finished. Right. And so it's like when you, when you put it so simply... Like how many times does a budget go over 10, 15, 20% due to delays or things? Like we're literally asking for like two to three and a half percent of this budget hmm. to, to make sure that we're solvent. Yeah. So this is not an egregious ask. It's very simple. Some would consider it a rounding error when you're seeing statements like we have hundreds of millions of dollars activated. It's like if you're going to build a $10 million project, what if you just built a 10 Point two five million dollar project and pays paid these businesses to close, yeah, and to take care of their staff and make sure people have jobs, yeah. You know, it won't be the last time this happened. Uh, if you're listening and you have the uh, purse strings in your hand, <laughs> maybe it's a good idea to start thinking about some kind of uh, compensation for the businesses that will be impacted in the future, so that we don't have folks in this situation again. Yeah, Jason uh, sent an email. He said, how do we avoid becoming Miami when it feels like the charm and history of Tampa is being pushed out every single day, particularly in Ybor? You know, kind of, kind of to Tim's point. I remember years ago, I talked with the owner of Ichikoro, Noel, who's his restaurant recently closed, Michelin Bib winner. Yeah. And he was like, look out for this money coming in from out of town. It's going to change this place. And, and right a little I, part of me thought he was kind of crazy. Yep. But now... You're seeing it. Ray, did that have something to do with the construction on, on Florida Ave? Because that was in front of their place as well. I don't know. I, I think with him, it was pretty complicated. We never really got to talk fully um, about that. So yeah. um, let me ask you something, Tim, from a restaurant owner standpoint. I mean, you're so, so many things like it's been a hard few months for you guys anyway. You, you closed the Brutalist, your contract brewing space um, in St. Pete. That tasting room had to close. You're also working your butt off to get St. Pete open. No easy task to open a restaurant. And you were guiding King State Tampa through a transition. Is this part of the change in your menu and service plan? How does that all change at once play into like your well-being and your ability to run this restaurant? Uh, yeah, well, I, I don't think I have well-being. I just have being at this okay. point. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I mean, it's been a tough year for everybody. You know, uh, craft beer took a massive hit. This year, we had to pivot our brewing operations and pull our, you know, contracting from the Brutalist and kind of rethink that. Um, we had some staff changes and then, you know, an inspector came in uh, after inspecting our spot three or four different times and on the fifth time randomly decided that our menu and how we had our kitchen and cooking setup set up was non-compliant. Mm -hmm. So then we had to just completely change our menu and kind of use what they allowed us to keep out of nowhere. So it's just been interesting roadblocks and like road bumps. And like, at the end of the day, that's the industry. Like those things don't concern me. It's like, we've been able to navigate COVID. We've been able to navigate, you know, DBPR issues. We've been able to navigate changes in the market. We've navigated everything. And that is the industry. If you think it's just set it and forget it, it's not. So we're here for the work. We're scrappy. We can change on a dime if we have to and do our best with what we have. But when there's a bulldozer 
taking five figures of business away every month and then halfway through you get told, don't worry, you have four more months of this. That's something that an operator or an owner can't personally handle. Like we don't, we don't have that mm. capacity. It's all yeah. in the city at this point. Yeah. And it's either they make it right for us and hopefully put in some sort of change to make it right for other people. So people like Cass Street and Smoke Signals and everyone else that's been destroyed at this point have a way forward even during construction. Like if they don't do that, then we have to do what they've done to us, to everyone else adjacent and below us, our vendors, our creditors, our staff. And that's awful. I mean, we have a lot of people with families. We have a couple single income families that are just King State. Like we pay local people to live here mm. and we pay taxes and there's a bunch of people like us. We're not special. We're not unique. I know we're like the star of this campaign currently, but if we stop, someone else is going to start next week because it's happening everywhere. And I just want to bring awareness to that. And biggest thing for me is I just want to save my business. And if people really care about your business, uh, I know a lot of customers What's do. The address? Some of them showed. Some of them showed up at at, at, at city council. Uh, how can how can a regular citizen help? So, I mean, we have a website. You can buy a shirt, buy a bag of coffee, whatever it is. Every dollar helps. I mean, Nate and I, my partner, we're talking about it, and it's like, I don't want to take the burdens that the construction in the city has put on us and expect to like cry wolf and keep posting and keep getting news articles and hope that people like out of pity and or support keep right. coming. We, right. we, want, we want people to come when they want to come and not feel like they have to come to save us. That's not our or your job as a guest. But this last week has been emotionally overwhelming. It's been mm. sick. Mm. So currently, if you get off our bars at 520 East Florabraska, it's right off the interstate if you're going south. There's a giant sign that says road closed. There's arrows and detours telling you to go anywhere but our parking lot. <laughs> but Screw just hop that the curb and just, go. You can go around. You can go into the oncoming traffic on the other side, which a lot of people are like, we thought that was illegal. Currently, we have cars in the street because yeah. the street's not being used. You can't use the street. It's yeah. a rodeo over there. So literally uh, park in the street, park in front of our bar, park in front of a crane. It doesn't matter. Just get there and... Yeah, we're going to make it out either way. I mean, we have options. We can, it, all the options are not good, but I don't think we're going to go away. You know, a month ago we were freaking out and it seems like we have a little bit of a plan if the city and or someone doesn't really do stuff. So we're, we're, we're happy to be here and we can't wait to see all this construction wrap up and get back to business as usual. Yeah. It's been the voice of Tim McTague, co-founder of King State in Tampa Heights, talking about construction there. Thank you to our guest, Robin Lockett, for being here at the top to talk about a proposed uh, curfew. And for Asher in the back. Asher in the back there on behalf of hey. myself, Ray. Ben's here. Uh, Skip Sassy on the board. Irene on the phones. You've been listening to WMNF Tampa and you should continue to do so because the wonderful Joellen Shilke is in Studio One, the hostess who loves you the most is here with art in your ear after five minutes of hopefully not depressing npr news see you next week <laughs> cheers see you next week